welcome into the College Basketball Bonanza's After Party. My name is Nicholas Hodell. Happy to have you alongside to recap the first few nights of the 2022-23 men's college basketball season at Division I. Nick Keneally, unable to join me for this edition of the show. He'll be back on Sunday, though, for the live show on Blaze Radio through blazeradioonline.com. We'll have more First week talk then, some more games from the first few nights, but this is the show dedicated to the first few nights. A little bit of a shorter show than our Sunday shows as per usual, but this is the show where I really wanted to dive deeper into these games from the first now three nights of the season. Election night, not a ton of games though, we did get some good indications, Zach Eadie, some more minutes for him, I think he played 25 minutes if I'm not mistaken in that Purdue game. And he did something really impressive. 12 points, 17 rebounds, and I believe six blocks. Career highs in the, in the latter two stats. He was phenomenal. He really met the kind of expectation I was setting for him in the back of my mind. And he is one of those players I expect to just be a standout in the Big Ten Conference. Really good stuff from him on opening on the opening game for Purdue. Second night of this year, not opening night. But... I do want to go through some of these early games in detail for the next several minutes. I want to first take it from the angle of South Dakota State's week in general. Two games in the first three nights of the season. Two very close games, I should add. Combined three points that these two games were decided by. First, South Dakota State at Akron going to overtime. Akron getting the win. And I thought was a really impressive game by both teams. For South Dakota State, Matt Detlinger had himself a really solid game with 15 points and 6 rebounds. And he was one of 5 South Dakota State players to score double figures with a 6. Matt Mims scoring 9. And so you get a really balanced scoring sheet. Only played 8 guys in that game, which I thought was interesting. Same as Akron, by the way. But a really good scoring spread amongst the roster. That's the kind of thing I really like to see. And and that's something that I think is going to really bode well for South Dakota State in future games. Just really unfortunate running into Akron. Xavier Castaneda, I've talked a lot about him. He was terrific. 31 points and 7 assists. And also Enrique Freeman was even better in my opinion. 23 points with 14 rebounds and 6 assists. He was phenomenal. And you get this Castaneda-Freeman one-two punch. And Akron, they're one of those top teams in the Mid-American Conference like we talked about. And I believe it was the after-party show for the uh, mid-major preview that we did throughout the, one of the last weeks of our season preview series. I really like this Akron team. Really hard-fought game by both teams. As well as South Dakota State's second game against Boise State. South Dakota State getting the win this time. Thanks once again to a solid performance by Matt Detlinger with 19 points. And he had four steals as well as some good defense. He had the game winner in the final seconds. Really solid stuff from South Dakota State. And this is a game they were in control of more throughout the night against Boise State. Great effort from the Broncos to get back into this game in the second half. Max Rice had a really solid night with 21 points. And his second half had 13 of those 21 points. And really solid stuff there. Marcus Shaver really came into his own in the second half as well. Had 17 points and 6 rebounds on the night as a whole. 
10 and 4 in the second half. So Boise State did what they needed to do to get back into this game in the second half. Really good effort from them to do so. But South Dakota State, I think they proved themselves, at least to me, the Jackrabbits proved themselves as one of the better teams in all of mid-major basketball. I really think the Jackrabbits, these two games against two quality opponents, they did themselves a big favor. And the experience they gained this week in the first three nights, I think is going to be big for the Jackrabbits going forward. Before we get into some more games from opening night, which was by far the most robust slate we've had so far, I want to get into one of the games from Wednesday night. Did you know that now Bowerman's the new best team in Louisville based off the head-to-head? The Bowerman Knights taking down Louisville and pretty much all of the fears and the expeditions for Louisville came true. One-point game, though. I want to talk about that later on. But Bowerman, they controlled this game. They controlled it, which was so impressive to see. And it's just one of those efforts for Bowerman. They shot 60% from the floor in the first half. Really solid effort from them there. Overall in the night, close to 50%. Some solid stuff in that department. Solid free throw shooting. Garrick Tipton was one of the main contributors here. With 21 points, 9 of 16 from the field. And also Bash Weiland, the guard, 13 points, 11 of 12 from the free throw line. Really clutch for Bowerman from the line all throughout the night. For the Louisville Cardinals, there just wasn't much in the positives, really. I mean, Bowerman led this game for over 30 minutes. That's bad. And throughout this game, it really just compounded a lot of the stuff we saw from Louisville in the exhibitions. I mean, this is a Louisville Cardinal team that I think had the worst preseason in all of college basketball. They were not good in the two exhibition games they played. The one thing I'm going to give Louisville credit for is the way they fought back in the second half. They made things difficult for Bowerman. The Knights didn't score in... A 441, I believe, was the exact time. So Louisville, they came back. They tried to fight their way into it, but it was just too little, way too late for Louisville. They need to really learn. Because Louisville right now, in my estimation, is to the ACC what Oregon State is to the Pac-12. Though I will talk about the Beavers later on. They did something good. That could potentially change my mind there. But Louisville, not good. This is turning. This, this is shaping out to be a disaster for Kenny Payne at Louisville. A disaster. I want to also discuss a few more games from Monday. I'm going to start off with what was the better, the best game on paper of the entire night. Memphis and Vanderbilt. Really saw a performance from Memphis. This is exactly what I thought would happen. 76-67 effort here. Memphis controlled the game for the first half and then proceeded to control it throughout the entire game. Vanderbilt did not lead for a single second of this game. DeAndre Williams was great. 17 points with 5 rebounds. Kendrick Davis was great. 16 points and 6 assists. 4 turnovers. Some work could be done there, but overall, a really solid night for him despite the shooting being off. Alex Lomax was the man with the double-double, though. 10 points and 10 rebounds. Just barely getting there. 
So you look at those three players, that's a big success for Memphis. For Vanderbilt, I mean, they, they just put themselves in a hole, and Memphis just really went on cruise control. Nothing else you can really say other than that. But their second half shooting leaves them some things to be happy about. 54% from the field in the second half, including 10 of 16 from three. So you have some overall positives there. None of it resulted in a win, but you have that to take away. A lot of bench players had some really positive performances for the Vanderbilt Commodores. So it is not all bad for Vanderbilt, and that really shows some signs of this Vanderbilt program that they've taken over the last five years. A game like this five years ago would have been an absolute nightmare for Vanderbilt, but really just finding a way to hold their own, not let that game turn into a blowout, some quality stuff there. And then before I get into some overreactions that I have from from the opening nights, I want to talk about a couple of brutality moments. USC against Florida Gulf Coast looked awful. Just awful. Now, and this was actually despite USC leading this game for more time than Florida Gulf Coast did, which is just astounding. Florida Gulf Coast didn't shoot the ball particularly well in the second half, but found, but really found a way to win this game going away in the second half with a 14-point advantage in the second half. And this was not all done by the starters. How about Chase Johnston coming off the bench and providing 20 points, 7 of 11 from the field, 7 of 14, I should say, apologies, from the field, 4 of 11 from three. There's an overall really solid night for him. Isaiah Thompson did his most of his work from the free throw line, but provided 16 points overall. Demir Bishop, 10 points for him, as well as 7 rebounds. A lot of good individual performances, and they all just really combined to provide some great stuff in the second half in particular. USC, on the other hand, Drew Peterson did not look all that enticing with just 7 points. From an overall perspective, though, it's not all bad. Nine rebounds, six assists, but a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Not ideal at all for Peterson. Boogie Ellis was by far the best player of this game for the Trojans with 19 points. Three rebounds, three assists, but you have to get Peterson going. If the Trojans cannot get Peterson going, it honestly could be a very disappointing season for USC. They need to find a way to figure it out. Peterson needs to find a way to figure it out. Not saying that more of this kind of result is coming because I don't think it is going to happen for the Trojans again, but it's a wake-up call for sure for the Trojans. And then perhaps the most shocking result of the night in which the power conference match we lost. I'll get to TCU in a minute. Florida State at home losing to Stetson. 83-74. 83-74. Florida State only let this game for two minutes. That is bad. Flat out bad and atrocious. You have to give a lot of credit to Stenson, particularly to Luke Brown. 27 points off the bench. Florida State's entire bench had 27 points. Granted, the bench was only three men for Florida State compared to double that for Stetson. But 
unbelievable performance off the bench for Luke Brown. I mean, you're talking about a man who's really earned his billing as a sixth man of the week nationally. Great effort from him. Alvin Tomlin with 15 points. Well, obviously, he had a couple other points as well in the double digits there. Really solid performance. Florida State also had some decent individual performances. Matthew Cleveland had 16 points and 7 rebounds. No assists, though, and 4 turnovers. That's not good. Caleb Mills, 12 points. Really a ho-hum night for him. Cameron Corrin off the bench with 10. Nothing crazy home to write about. Cameron Fletcher had a solid game off the bench. Nine points. Shooting was not that good, though. Three of nine from the field, but added nine rebounds to his name. You need to figure it out, though. I mean, it, it, it just wasn't enough. And I think that's trouble for Florida State. Nothing in a box score really pops off the page, but when you let Stenson, when you let them lead a game for over 35 minutes, when you let them get out to an 18-point lead, I mean, I mean, it's awful. It's awful. And they're going to have to figure it out, Florida State. I mean, that's the kind of result that really just leads to a downward season. And the Seminoles, I think, have a lot to learn the next couple of weeks in particular. They need to figure it out because a lot of the warning signs were there. And by the way, for Luke Brown, he had 20 of his points in the first half. Really caught fire early on in the game. Huge piece of that Stenson Hatters performance. Really a program-defining performance in my estimation. But Florida State needs to figure it out because you will not be able to do too much more of that and be able to call yourselves a legitimate NCAA tournament team as an at-large, even though you did good in the ACC. These kinds of losses are quad four losses, and they hurt. Same thing for USC. Those are quad four losses, and in USC's case in particular, that hurts. That will come back to bite in March. Florida State's loss to Stenson will come back to bite in March. These are the kinds of losses that people talk about on resumes. And you have to avoid them. And those two teams didn't. Quickly, shout, I want to shout out St. Louis's Yuri Collins. St. Louis obliterated Murray State 91-68. Yuri Collins, not a huge score on the night. That really went to guys like Gibson Jerusalem with 20 points and Javante Perkins with 21 points. But Yuri Collins had 14 assists, no turnovers. The nation's assist champion, is not going to let that title go without a fight. I think he's going to repeat. That's impressive. And you have guys like Perkins back now for St. Louis. That's a really dangerous team. Really excited to see what they end up doing throughout the course of the year. Let's move on to some of my opening night's overreactions. Some of the things that I have seen, particularly from opening night, uh, but also some things that I have seen in some of these other games as well. Uh, really mainly from opening night. And also mainly in the Pac-12. A couple of them are mainly in the Pac-12. I want to address Arizona State first. Their win over Tarleton, 62-59. This game, to me, I think after this performance, we are witnessing the beginning of the end of the Bobby Hurley era at Arizona State. And one of the things I've really said to really just about everyone I know at this point is I think that Bobby Hurley's in a hot seat year. He's raised his standard of the Arizona State men's basketball program pre-COVID, 
that after years of not getting back, fans are going to be wondering what's going on. And really just adds to the overall scene of Arizona State right now, which is an athletic department in turmoil with Ray Anderson at the helm. This was ugly. This was ugly. This is like last season accelerated. I mean, you look at the Portland game. Yes, Arizona State had a convincing win in the scoreline. Wasn't necessarily the most convincing game I've ever seen. Then you go to the North Florida game last year after that. That was not a convincing win. And then you see beside the buzzer beater. And we know how the rest of the season played out. Arizona State should have lost this game to Tarleton. They should have lost it. It's a good credit to Tarleton. Looked really good. I thought Tarleton looked really good. And this is despite, by the way, shooting being not so good for a team trying to upset a power conference team. Despite giving up, despite the Sun Devils, I should say, having 20 offensive rebounds. <laughs> a lot of this made no sense. Yet it made perfect sense. ASU had 21 turnovers. ASU had only 11 points off of 17 turnovers. 34 of ASU's 62 points came from two players. Frankie Collins of 21, Marcus Bagley with 13. Some players weren't that great. DJ Horn's shooting wasn't that great. Devin Cambridge's shooting was awful. Where's Enoch Biake? Where's Enoch? He only had two minutes on the floor, which is surprising. Duke Brennan played four times as much in this game as Enoch. Something to keep in mind. Alonzo Gaffney, 29 minutes, five points. That's awful. That's just awful for a six-man. Gotta do better than that. There's just so many things that it was bad. Tarleton led this game for nearly 29 minutes. ASU led for 4-11 and ended up winning the game. This is just one of those games where I think ASU, if they can't learn from this, if they can't produce a statement performance against Northern Arizona on Thursday, we are looking at a disaster in Tempe. And it's, I believe it's going to end Bobby Hurley's reign with the Sun Devils. It's going to call more questions upon Ray Anderson do you want to get Ray Anderson another men's basketball hire after what has happened with the athletic department with the football scandal and having to fire whomever it's midseason? There's just a lot of chaos right now. And the last thing the ASU needs is a men's basketball program that's once again failing to meet expectations. And there's not a lot of signs after Monday night that points me in that direction. The one thing I will give ASU, particularly Frankie Collins credit, he showed a lot of his potential. I mean, the potential he showed in the NCAA tournament for Michigan against Colorado State, he showed that. Really impressive. But Arizona State, not convincing at all. I really do think that it could be a very tumultuous time in the men's basketball program just based on what I saw on Monday night. Another Pac-12 overreaction we could very well have a new bottom team in the Pac-12, and that's Cal. Let's get to Oregon State first. I was not expecting to beat Tulsa, and they did. 73-70. I was very surprised by this. Really balanced scoring. Three players with 16 or more points. 
Jordan Pope leading the way with 19 points off a really solid 6-0 of a night from the field. Five rebounds and three assists. Dexter Icano with 18 points coming in second. That was really the only thing he did was score. And then Glenn Taylor Jr. with 16 points, five rebounds, three assists. There are still some things I'm concerned about. The assist to number ratio at 10 to 19 is not good. Nearly a 1 to 2 there. Oregon State will do a lot of damage in the second half. And the fact that they did that was impressive in its own right. 62% from the field in the second half. 5 of 7 from deep. They only allowed Tulsa 2 of 10 in the second half after the Golden Hurricane had a 50% mark in the first half. Oregon State, 14 of 18 from the free throw line. That's not bad. That's not bad. 17 of 21 overall. That's not bad at all, in my opinion. That's not terrible. So the fact that Oregon State was able to come back from 19 down and win this game was impressive to me. It, it really was. And again, I was not expecting Oregon State to win. I have to give Oregon State a lot of credit. Cal, on the other hand, did not look good. Losing by 10 at home to UC Davis. Let's have a look at the details now from this. Not sure if it's terribly surprising given how Cal had really no expectations. Uh, but if you took a, take a little bit deeper of a look here, Cal only left for six minutes. Cal in the second half at 26% shooting after shooting 56% in the first half. UC Davis, just big credit to them for what they were able to do with this gun. And that was control the game. UC Davis led for nearly 30 minutes in this contest. Three players of 16 or more points. You like to see that balance there. Some other players pitching in where they can. That's something I usually like to see out of a team. Cal had the same thing, but they just couldn't ever control this game, which is very worrying to me. Again, more turnovers than assists here. Large Thieman had five turnovers compared to one assist. Really the only negative on his performance is he had 17 points and eight rebounds in the night. But that was really just the one big negative. Also had a couple blocks and a couple steals uh, to supplement his night as well. Some things that I worry also, you see Davis out-rebounded Cal. That's not good. That's awful. For Cal, I, I really worry. Now, after one game, especially when Oregon State had to come back from 19 down, when they really just, it was not looking good for Oregon State at all, like I thought it would before Oregon State came back, I really do believe that that shows something. That, to me, gets Oregon State the upper hand uh, right now over Cal. Again, overreacting a little bit here. Um, but I mean, it is worth just taking another look and just following Oregon State and Cal and what they do over the course of the next four to five weeks and perhaps revisiting that conversation. We knew that Oregon State and Cal was the two worst teams. I thought it was pretty clear that Oregon State was the bottom team in the Pac-12. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Huge credit to Oregon State for what they were able to pull off. I really, really like what they were able to do. My final overreaction 
I'm going to present TCU. By far the worst opening act performance from a ranked team. Perhaps I've seen in years. TCU does not deserve to be ranked. They don't, in my opinion, after what they did against Arkansas Pine Bluff. They won this game by one. They had to survive in the last possession. Here's, just, here's one of the really telling stories. Arkansas Pine Bluff led this game for two and a half times more time than TCU. That's awful. TCU let Arkansas Pine Bluff shoot 52% from the field, including 11 of 20 from deep. That is a huge credit to Arkansas Pine Bluff, particularly Sean Doss Jr., who shot 9 of 19 from the field, 4 of 5 from deep, 25 points on the night with 6 rebounds. Really good stuff. You have to give him credit. TCU from deep for the night, 4 of 21. From the free throw line, 27 of 38. I want to see better than that from the field. I, I need to see better than that. Some solid individual performances. The problem is the shooting just wasn't there for a lot of the night. And he let Arkansas blind bluff lead the game for over 27 minutes. That's awful. And, and an opening week like this as well, that is, it's just, it's eye-popping. When you have all these other eight teams showing some really positive traits, Maybe they're not scoring as much as, other, as some others, but they're showing the positive traits, controlling games against mid-majors. Whoa, TCU did what? They could they they led a game against for only ten minutes against Arkansas Pine Bluff at home. Say what? What has TCU proven? Their expectations were big on everyone coming back. You would think everyone coming back that they would take a leap up together. Apparently they haven't. Apparently they haven't. I mean, it is absolutely grounds to not rank TCU next week. Wouldn't be shocked if TCU was somehow out of the AP Top 25 when it comes out for its first in-season release. I wouldn't be shocked. Myself, I wouldn't put him in my Top 25. I wouldn't. That's embarrassing for TCU. That's embarrassing. And they need to do better. They need to do a lot better than that. If that is the kind of thing that we can expect all year long, TCU is not only going to disappoint, they are going to face plant and flop massively. That's really bad. I really hope TCU gets it together. Mike Miles is an incredible player. He had 15 and 6 on the night. More free throw makes than shots, interestingly enough. Emmanuel Mera had a solid game for himself as well with 19 points and 5 rebounds, but very concerning. Very concerning. Let's get to my weekend picks now. Nick Kennedy will provide his. We'll provide all of those for the weekend on our Twitter at College Bonanza. So his picks will be made exclusively there. Washington State and Boise State on Saturday. Boise State, really hard-fought game against South Dakota State, like I mentioned earlier. I'm going to go with Washington State. Just really based on really that first game test, I think Wazoo's proven a bit more at this point. I would take the Cougars there. GCU and Nevada also on Saturday. GCU showed a lot of grit and determination to come back against Montana State at home. Montana State defending Big Sky champion, really solid team. And GCU, they came back from a massive hole to win that game by six. Really just kind of going away there towards the end. 
I'm going to take the Lopes on the road against Nevada. Not in their home court environment. It's one of the best in all of college basketball. But I think GCs can really prove themselves and get a win there. Georgia Tech going to Georgia State. Very interesting in-state road game for a powered conference team. Would love to see more take this challenge on. I'm going to take Georgia Tech. It could be close at times. I'm not going to lie. This could be a close one at times. But I will take the Yellow Jackets there. Texas State and Rhode Island, another Saturday game. Just kind of one of those games they just kind of have to really pick out and see how it goes. A couple of mid-major teams around the middle of the national Kimpom rankings. I'll take Texas State in that one. Just, again, just between Texas State and Rhode Island, I think that Texas State has proven a bit more, even though both those teams lost their opening game of the season. Two Sunday games, North Texas and St. Mary's. I'm going to continue to ride the St. Mary's train. I, I And there are some positives they took out of the game against Oral Roberts on opening night, 78-70. to I like the Gales. I like what they're built as. And I think they're going to continue to prove that they are the sole number two in the West Coast Conference. And they're going to keep building on it and try to get back to the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. Finally, it's probably the best game of the entire weekend. Colorado and Tennessee in Nashville. I expect Tennessee to win this game. This is one of those semi-home type games that it's going to be called a neutral site on the resume. But for all intents and purposes, it's really another Tennessee home game to get the volunteer fan base to show up. I think they will. I think Tennessee wins that game going away. Again, Nick Keneally's picks we made exclusively on Twitter for those games at College Bonanza. Make sure to follow that for all of our in-season content night by night. That'll wrap things up for this edition of the Bonanza After Party. Reminder, Sunday night on Blaze Radio, 7 o'clock Arizona time. Now 9 o'clock Eastern for those out in the East. We're going to cover the weekend games primarily and really discuss all of the brutality we saw in these bye games. A lot of brutality happens every year. It didn't disappoint. So Sunday night, look forward for that. Also, our midweek picks for week two. It's going to start getting better. Champions Classic next week. Two big games to pick on Sunday night. We'll do that then. For now, i Nicholas Hodel. Have a very good first weekend of the college basketball season. We'll catch you on Sunday Night Live on Blaze Radio.